And good Sunday morning. Welcome to the latest edition of Sharing the Victory, program sponsored by the West Virginia University chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Kirby Myers, WVUFCA Campus Director, joins us on this Sunday morning. Good morning. Good morning, Kyle. We appreciate you coming in. We appreciate all your efforts, and we encourage people to go to the website, wvufca.org. What might they find there? Well, they can learn more about our organization. They can learn uh, how to, to give if that's something they want to do. Um, they can contact us if they have any questions. Had a lot of people reach out and, um, you know, wanting to have, maybe have an athlete come out and speak to uh, one of their men's groups or something like that. We're we're happy to do that if if we can accommodate yeah. the athletes that they want. If it works into their schedule. Absolutely. That's the most important thing because that's what you do. You work, you, you kind of weave your way into their schedule because that's just the way it has to be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, does every team practice on Sunday? Um, this I fo- think this football team practice, not, uh, sometimes not, they not do. in the off season. Um, yeah, we'll find out what we do this fall. I'm not sure yet, <laughs> but sometimes you know, they do again. That's the point. I mean, these athletes, um, you know, they, 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 they seek this out and you're their church because their schedule is so rigid. Yeah. I mean, I was talking, uh, again to some of our baseball players, you know, they've, they've got yeah, Sunday they morning practices Sunday. and mm-hmm. then they're going to start having games every Sunday. So it's, it's tough. I mean, that's good or bad. That's the way it is. It is. For them. And, you know, again, you try to kind of bend to their schedule to be there for them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, very good. WVUFCA.org, that's the website. All right. Thank you, Kyle. Hey, we're back uh, back in our study of the Gospel of John. We were in John last week, too, but we were in John chapter 14. But now we return to our verse-by-verse study of this great Gospel. John chapter 3, we're beginning for the first time and we're going to look here at Nicodemus and the Son of God. This incredible conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. So I want to go ahead and read the passage of Scripture, get right into it today. John chapter 3, today we'll look at verses 1 through 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, we have the incredible opportunity today to travel back in time, uh, away from the snow and cold into the warm climate of Palestine, and drop in on a conversation that took place nearly 2,000 years ago between Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and a man named Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees, as we will see, a ruler of the Jews, and one who was known as the teacher of Israel. We are going to listen in for the next two weeks, maybe three, maybe even four. Um, I really want to be thorough. This is such an important passage of Scripture, and make some observations from listening in on this conversation where we will learn why Jesus came to earth and what it means to be born again and how one can have everlasting life. And so we look to this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. The first thing I want to look at with you today is the person of Nicodemus. And in verse 1, John, the human author, describes him as a man of the Pharisees. 
We've brief, we have briefly seen mention of the Pharisees here in the Gospel of John. It was the Pharisees, if you remember, who had sent a group of priests and Levites from Jerusalem to question John the Baptist and to ask him who he was, uh, whether or not he was the Christ, whether he was Elijah or the prophet, and why he was baptizing if he was not the Christ, if he was not the Messiah, uh, if he was not Elijah or the prophet. The Pharisees were an elite religious party. Uh, their name most likely can't, comes from a Hebrew verb meaning to separate. Uh, they were the separated ones in the sense that they were zealous for the Mosaic law, the law that God gave to Moses and the children of Israel. And they were zealous for their own oral traditions, which they added to the law. If it wasn't enough for all the laws that God gave to Israel, they added to those laws with their own traditions, their own preferences. The Pharisees would have originated during the intertestamental period, that 400 period uh, from the closing of the Old Testament with the book of Malachi and the coming of John the Baptist. The Pharisees generally came from the middle class, and they were not great in number. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that there were about 6,000 Pharisees at the time of Herod the Great in the first century, but they had great influence among the people, and their popularity gave them significant influence in the Sanhedrin, which was the governing council of Israel. So a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, we see next, his name means victor over the people. It was a Greek name that was common among the Jews who were living in the time of Jesus. And then John describes him as a ruler of the Jews. This simply means that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, and we see this later in the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 7, verses 43 to 50. The Sanhedrin was the governing council of Israel. Though they were under the ultimate authority of the Romans, a Jewish tradition traced the origin of the Sanhedrin to the 70 elders who assisted Moses. If you want to read about that, that is found in Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 through 17. The Sanhedrin of the New Testament times most likely originated during the period of Persian or Greek rule. The Sanhedrin was made up of 70 members. It was presided over by the reigning high priest, and it included men from the influential priestly families. So it was made up of elders and scribes and any former high priests who were still living. They exercised wide-ranging powers in civil and criminal and religious matters. However, they did not have the power of capital punishment. This was reserved for the Romans, and the Romans did this well, executing people, many Jews, by crucifixion. The Pharisees had, or the Sanhedrin had the power to make arrests and to conduct trials, as we will see later in our study of John in the arrest and the trials of Jesus. They were given power to do these things, but it seems that that power was limited to Judea and that the Sanhedrin had no power over Jesus when he was in Galilee, which we know was north of Judea. 
Verse 10 tells us a little bit more about Nicodemus when Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Jesus does not say here, Are you a teacher in Israel? He says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? The definite article is here in the English, and it is there in the Greek, just as we saw last time in our study of John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And here we see that Nicodemus was a recognized, established teacher in Israel. He would have had great exposure to the Old Testament. And so Jesus rebukes him here for not understanding these things, though he was a teacher and was familiar with the Old Testament. We will look at this more in depth next time, but I wanted you to see more about who Nicodemus was. He was a man of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and he was the teacher of Israel. Well, let's look now, number two, at the procedure of Nicodemus. In verse two, we read that this man came to Jesus by night. Now, I taught through portion of the Gospel of John when I was a pastor in Indiana for 12 years. I didn't teach for 12 years. I was there for 12 years. But when we were going through the Gospel of John and got to John chapter 3, I called that sermon series Nick at Night. (laughs) John doesn't specifically tell us why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, although many commentators have given their opinions as to why that he did. And I want to be very careful here and observe where things are meant to be observed and interpret where things are meant to be interpreted. The fact is this. This is what we do know. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. The question is this. Why did he come to Jesus at night? Well, some have suggested that he came to him at night because he wanted to have a long talk with Jesus, and this would have been difficult to do during the day because of the large crowds that were following Jesus as he was growing in popularity. Others have suggested that it was because he was afraid to come by day, because of his status as a Pharisee, and because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. I do think that it is interesting that John tells us these things about Nicodemus, that he was a Pharisee, that he was a ruler of the Jews, before telling us that Jesus Came, that he came to Jesus by night. And John may be doing this to tell us why he came at night. But the most important thing is this, my friends, that Nicodemus came to Jesus. And we know that he did because John tells us so. And John is recording these things as an eyewitness and one who was inspired by God to write all of these things down. And so like Peter and like Thomas, Nicodemus often gets a bad rap from Bible commentators and scholars for how he addresses Jesus, uh, for the fact that he comes to Jesus by night, some saying he came because he was afraid. I want to focus on the fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus and ask the question, where are the other 69 members of the Sanhedrin? Nicodemus took the time and more than likely took a risk in coming to Jesus to have this conversation, which will eventually lead to his salvation. So let's look at this conversation, beginning in verse 2. And he said to him, Rabbi, 
We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus does not address Jesus as Messiah or Christ. He does not call him Lord. He doesn't call him Son of David as others did when they came to Jesus. He simply addresses him as Rabbi, teacher. This is respectful. There is an acknowledgement here that Jesus is a rabbi, that he is a teacher. But Nicodemus at this point does not see Jesus as divine. He does not see Jesus to be greater than him. He sees him as an equal, as a fellow teacher in Israel. Verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. It's interesting that Nicodemus says, we know, not just I know. Nicodemus and others, perhaps other members of the Sanhedrin, that 70-member ruling council, who were not willing or not brave enough to come with Nicodemus, they acknowledged that Jesus had come from God as a teacher, even though he had not received the proper rabbinical training that they themselves had received. Look at what else Nicodemus acknowledged in verse 2. He says, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let's remember what we learned back in chapter 2. It's close enough you could go back to verse 23 that says, Now when he was in Jerusalem, Jesus, at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. Signs or miracles or great wonders. They could not be denied. Those things that Jesus was doing, they couldn't be denied. People were being healed. People's lives were being changed. And Nicodemus was willing to acknowledge this by saying, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus had most likely seen these signs for himself, perhaps in Jerusalem during the Passover. And he was amazed. He knew that God was with this man, and he begins to try to understand who this man is. And perhaps even now, Nicodemus is wondering, could this be the Messiah? Could John the Baptist be right when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And so he comes to Jesus, he comes to him at night, and he has this very important conversation. But that leads to number three, the problem with Nicodemus. Verse three, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of of God. Don't miss the connection with verses 23 to 25 of John chapter 2 with what we see here in John chapter 3. Look back again at John 2, 23 to 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Friends, Jesus knew everything about Nicodemus before he came to him. We see this in verse 10, where Jesus says to him, You are the teacher of Israel. 
Jesus did not need anyone to tell him about Nicodemus. Uh, he didn't have a, a report given to him, hey, here's a little background on Nicodemus who's going to come visit you tonight. He didn't need anyone to tell him about who he was or why he had come, and even why he had come to see him at night, because Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus. What I love about this passage, Nicodemus doesn't even ask Jesus a question. But in verse 3, we read that Jesus answered him. But he was not answering a question. Nicodemus just made a statement here in verse 2 by saying, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus wastes no time with Nicodemus, and he goes right after his heart. and says to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is not interested in talking to Nicodemus about the signs that he was performing at the Passover. He doesn't say, hey, did you hear about me turning the water into the water into wine? Want me to tell you how I did that one? You know, if you've ever seen a magician do a, a crazy card trick, you want to ask him, how did you do that? Show me. Tell me. Jesus is not interested in proving to him how he has the authority to do what he does or how he has the authority to teach, even though he did not receive the same rabbinical training and schooling as Nicodemus did. He does not need to affirm that God is indeed with him, as Nicodemus has correctly pointed out. Jesus goes for the heart. He goes for Nicodemus's heart by telling him that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling Nicodemus here that despite the fact that you are a man of the Pharisees, you are a member of the 70-member council known as the Sanhedrin. You are the teacher of Israel. You are not born again, and you need to be born again. Born again, you may have this note in your margin of your Bible. It literally means born from above. We see this, this uh, phrase in verse 3, <clears throat> and we see it again in verse 7. You must be born again. You must be born from above. And friend, if you could get this today, get this very truth, that salvation does not come from within. It comes from without. Salvation is outside of you. The righteousness that you and I need to stand before a holy God without being destroyed is an alien righteousness. It is a righteousness that we do not possess within our bodies. Uh, it is important to note that it is a lie from the pit of hell when someone says salvation is found within. Because man cannot save himself. Salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. Nicodemus had a spiritual resume of all the things that he believed he was contributing to his salvation, his good works, his works of righteousness, things that he was doing to please God. Nicodemus thought he was okay because of his status, because of his position, because of his strict adherence to the law, because of his keeping even the traditions of the elders and the scribes and the priests. 
and because of his own righteousness. But Jesus destroyed all of that with one statement by telling Nicodemus that he must be born again, by telling him that he must be born from above, that he must be regenerated, that God must do something in him that he could not do for himself. And this is what is known as the new birth or regeneration. God must do something in us before we will ever respond to him. Because we learn in the New Testament that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are walking according to the course of this world, that we are walking and living according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, that we are living in the lust of our flesh, that we are indulging the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and we are children of wrath. We see all those things in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We are separated from God because of our sin. We are at war with God. We are at enmity with God, and we are his enemies. We see this in Romans 5, verses 6 through 10. And because of this, we see that we are helpless, we are hopeless, and there is nothing we can do to change our dreadful and depraved condition. Like Nicodemus, we all need to be born again. We all need to be born from above. We all need God to reach down and change our hearts. We all need him to make us alive because we are dead. And without this, as Jesus tells Nicodemus, we cannot see the kingdom of God. We cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. We have no hope of eternal life. We have no hope of heaven. In its historical context here, Jesus may have been referring to the millennial kingdom here, the the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. The Jews believe in this coming kingdom. They are waiting for this kingdom. Nicodemus, as a Jew and as a teacher in Israel, would have believed in this coming kingdom. But unless one is born again, he will not be a part of the millennial kingdom. He will not be a part of Christ's 1,000-year reign upon the earth but he will also not be a part of his eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We are very much like Nicodemus. We were all born in sin. Before Christ, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. We, like Nicodemus, have a spiritual resume of of the things that we are doing and the things that we have done to try to please a holy God. But we learn in the book of Isaiah that All of our righteous deeds and acts are like filthy rags to the Lord, Isaiah 64, 6. They are unacceptable to God. In fact, they are detestable to him. And so we need to be born again. We need to be born from above. We need God to do something for us and in us that we cannot do for ourselves. We need to be regenerated. We need God to reach down and remove our stony hearts and replace them with hearts of flesh, capable of repenting of our sins and responding in faith to Christ. Many of us have been born again. We were born from above by God. We were made alive when we were dead. And we placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, and we were forgiven of all of our sins, and we were granted eternal life. Salvation is of the Lord, and all the glory belongs to him.
Some of you listening today may be like Nicodemus, and you're trusting in your goodness, in your good works, in your religion. And I would say in all love to you today, you need to be born again. Well, this story has a happy ending for Nicodemus, spoiler alert, but I believe there was a day that Nicodemus was born again, and he placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God. We are, and we are not told when this occurred, when he was born again, but I believe that John shows us the result and the evidence that John, that Nicodemus was born again, and that is found in John 19, verses 31 to 42. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Nicodemus placed his faith in Christ. And so I would ask you as we conclude, have you been born again? Have you placed faith in Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Is there evidence in your life that you belong to Christ? Is there a love for the things that God loves? And is there a hatred for the things that God hates? These things will be true for those who have been born again by the Spirit of God. And if they're not true of you, I pray that you would trust him today, that you would recognize that God is holy and that you have sinned against God, and that you would repent or turn, do a 180 from your sins, and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Father, thank you for John chapter 3, for including this incredible conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Lord, bless our study as we look deeper into this conversation in the weeks to come. I pray that we would all know that we need to be born again. And for us that have been born again, that have been born from above, thank you, God. We praise you for doing something in us that we could have never done for ourselves, for we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you have made us alive. By grace, we have been saved. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sharing the victory on WAJR this Sunday morning, the WVU-FCA. Again, you can uh, access more information on the organization, WVUFCA.org. Kirby, thanks. Thank you. Great. Appreciate the time. Message once again. We appreciate uh, your time coming in as well.
Sunday morning sharing the victory. The WVU FCA here on 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJR.